Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. This episode is brought to you by Shit You Should Care About and our new Cisco supporters. Head to the show notes to start supporting the media you love and the podcast hosts you love. Kia ora team, Luce here. Unfortunately, Liv, our wonderful co-host, has come down with a case of COVID-19 and Ruby, our wonderful third member who edits all the podcasts, also has COVID. So you are getting a re-upload of one of our favourite past episodes and we will be back in your ears when we are all happy and healthy. Love you. Everybody, Yoda. Welcome to another, another, another lockdown episode of Culture Vulture. Look, Lo- lockdown number five, four, five. Oh, I don't know. Fucking who knows? But it does mean we've had a lot of time to consume things. That's exactly what I was going to say. Every night, Luz and I have basically been watching consuming. something. Yeah, absolutely. We have this white sheet in our lounge that we pull down and then we project shit onto it. It's actually beautiful. Oh, cinema. It's actually great having a projector. So we've just watched um, Squid Game, which we're going to oh. have to talk about next week or the week after because, wow, so much to unpack. But as well as watching Squid Game, we watched Sex Education, which we fucking loved, didn't we? absolutely. It just came at the perfect time. I feel like everything was starting to dry up and then season three got put out and it was just amazing because I have been, I think it was two years. Yeah, it was. It doesn't feel like two years since the last season. No, not at all. That's wild. So between Sex Education, we've also had time to read and we've both read the new Sally Rooney book. And so we thought we'd do this episode, you know, a a bit of a sexy episode because Sally Rooney, even though that's not what I focused on in the Mm -hmm. Sally Rooney chat, she is inherently writing about really normal sex and sexy sort of ordinary people yes absolutely it seems to be a theme throughout her three books so far fuck yeah so the way we've done it is Liv's gonna give us a big old chat about sex education because we need it we love it we need it we need to gush for lack of better words about this whole thing like I'm looking at what I've written an absolute gush I know and then after that I'm gonna be talking about Sally Rooney's new book and it's really funny because The whole time I was reading lots of critiques on the book Mm -hmm. and, you know, people that are choosing to pick her apart, of course, when people do really well, it's sort of human nature to pick them apart. And I feel like the whole time I was a big in defense of Sally Rooney. Like my my thinking and my writing and like everything that I'm probably going to say is all just a defense of her. So we, we come to this podcast as fans of things. Totally. Right? Like it's so much more fun for us and for our mental health and for all of you to listen to us talk about things and put our attention on things that we like. Yeah, I think for us, like, we don't want to be critics. No. We don't want to come and sit here to us, like, if we didn't like something, we just wouldn't give it airtime. Exactly. Or we'd analyze it and pick out the things that we liked and what we learned from it, but we're not going to spend a whole hour or whatever it is talking about something we hate. So I think that's... That's what Culture Vulture is. It's We're fans of things. In our hearts, we want to be happy about things rather than be sort of negative about totally. them. Totally. So if you want to hate listen to something, this is not the place to be. No. <laughs> so, but, like, we will go into the criticisms that oh, have been absolutely. levied against Sally Rooney, but we're probably going to be on here defending them. So, um... Without further ado, Liv, do you want to give us a bit of a rundown of sex education? It would be my pleasure. So yeah, just as I said, just as content was seeming to dry up, sex education really came to the rescue. Every mm-hmm. night, Lucy, Flo and I, our other flatmate, we, sort always, of... we always talk about Flo on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Every week she listens to it being like, why are you so obsessed with me? Oh like I'm on every episode. She's going to love that we're oh, talking about her now. Absolutely. We are obsessed with you, Flo. Yeah, and we're floppy. also obsessed with the chocolate that you bring to oh. every viewing. God, we've been eating... 
like so much chocolate and it's great I mean but it's not our usual chocolate intake is no, it god no god no so yeah every night we sort of bring a different type of chocolate yeah. to play it's actually really cute <laughs> yeah the small lockdown things yeah exactly so yes um beware that this episode is going to have some major spoilers oh, yeah. about sex education so if you haven't finished the series don't listen because honestly we're just going to go through everything mm-hmm. so sex education was written and produced by a girl called Laurie Nunn. So she created the whole thing, which is amazing. I can't even imagine being the creator of something so good. No, I know. And, like, I'm not surprised that it's a woman that's um, created it. So so beautifully done. Honestly, so, so cool. So just so we were all on the same page, Sex Education is a Netflix original series that follows the students of Mordell High, um, which is a sort of 80s-based American-style high school that's set in Wales. Yeah. Seems and very muddy. It seems like 80s, but it's actually, they all yes, have iPhones that, and stuff, so it's all, like, ambiguous. Absolutely. It's, like, set in our time period, but the style of it is 80s. Very, very cool. It makes a very clear, concise tone, which mm, you wouldn't think it would. No. But, yeah, amazing. Um, So I guess you would say that Otis Milburn is the main character. Oh, hell yeah. So we follow... Sort of a whole bunch of storylines that intertwine with each other. It's not just the students, but it's the parents and teachers that also get caught in and add to the mm. drama. So the whole premise of the show is that in season one, Otis and the somewhat troubled but brilliant bad girl Maeve team up to give sex advice to students. Thanks to the therapy skills that Otis has somehow absorbed through having a sex and relationship therapist as a mother. Mm. Um, so basically we just learn so much about sex throughout the entire show and they tackle really awkward and uncomfortable and even dark situations, but they somehow make it light and humorous Mm. and interesting, but without taking the weight out of the situation. I find it really amazing. I think it's the best representation of pretty much everything I've ever watched, like without having lived through something like for it to be represented on a screen in what is meant to be such a fake way. But it oh feels God. so real. And honestly, I think every teacher should, every sex ed teacher but should yes. be play, just playing the series. Like, that's your job fucking done for you. Literally, just play the series. And Literally. they'll learn so much more than you could ever teach them. They'll learn so much more. Oh, love it. I know. Um, I just love, like, the opening montage. Like, they don't shy away from anything. It's horny as, but it's so normal. It's so, so horny, normal. but it's so, like... Yes, you're allowed to be horny. Yes. That sort of thing. And, like, no it can shame. show itself in so many different ways. You could be really into aliens, and that's fine. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, we enter season three with Mr. Groff's replacement, Hope, who is Jemima Kirk from Girls. She's so hot. Yeah, walking on stage. She sort of, like, dances around and gives a very wrong first impression. She seems to be... <laughs> dancing on stage. Oh, like, what the fuck? What the fuck? Because, like, we're showing her, we're like, oh, she's, like, the new cool yeah. headmistress, but she turns out to be, like, the most cold human alive. I know. She's a bitch. But um, she actually is going to be playing Melissa in conversations with friends. I know. Yeah. I didn't realize that. That is the perfect casting. Oh my God, I'm obsessed with her. For anyone that needs a picture in their mind, she was also from Girls. She was like the young, blonde, really free one in Girls. I can't remember Like the best friend Mm. of Lena Dunham. And in real life, best friend of Lena Dunham. Amazing, amazing. Mm. Yeah, and also Joe Allen. Taylor Swift's boyfriend is going to be in conversation with friends. Yeah, I know. I literally just read this. Like, what the fuck? That is so sick and so crazy that we are talking about Sally Rooney at the same time. I just thought meant to be. Worlds collide. Absolutely. So (laughs) we we go back to Mordell High and the place of the sex education sort of therapist is taken by Kyle, who calls himself the sex king. I hate the sex king. This is such a weird subplot, honestly. Fucking weird. Um, Eric is dating Adam. Mm. Um, Otis has been having casual sex with popular girl Ruby mm. over summer. Um, Lucy, what did you think of Ruby and Otis as a couple? I loved it. Like, I remember talking to you, like, midway through being Mm. like, I know that Maeve and Otis are meant to end up together. Logically, I know. But I really loved Ruby and Otis. And I think it's because it's kind of like the Teddy Face situation. Not to bring it back to Love Island. But, like, Ruby needed Otis, but Otis Otis didn't didn't need need Ruby. Ruby. No. But it was really... I just found Ruby so likable after she opened up to Otis. Oh my god, she became so much more of a three-dimensional character once we saw her home life. Now, have you seen the rumours that they're dating in real life? I 
have seen an Instagram post. Like, I know, you know they're both picture. in the same setting. Yes. Okay, well, oh, I can't hope it's true. But he's yeah. so cute. I know. Anyway. Very fucking cute. Liked them. <laughs> he's been in so much stuff, which I haven't realised. Like, he was the boy in boy in striped pyjamas. Was it? Eh? Yeah, he was the little boy. The one that was Bruno? Is that his Bruno. name? Bruno. No. Yeah. Oh, my God. I know. Oh, no, you didn't have to bring up that. Oh, I know. <laughs> Not in the same sort of genre, is it? No, he's very... He's a three-dimensional actor. <laughs> he's a three-dimensional actor, for sure. But, yeah, and then so we leave off with Jean becoming pregnant at the end of last season yes. um, with Jacob's baby, but she hasn't told him yet, so she keeps doing, like, drive-bys by his house. No, okay, oh. we do have to mention that I was out for a walk the other day listening to Shameless, oh, yes. and I rang Liv mid-walk being like, excuse me, but did you know that... What's her name? Emma Thompson? No. <laughs> you always <laughs> Jillian Anderson. Emma Thompson. <laughs> okay, guys. Lucy, we oh. were sat there... <laughs> we were sat there watching, and she's like... That's Emma Thompson, right? And I was like, now Liv, is that Emma Thompson? Like halfway through the season. No. Her name is Gillian Anderson. Gillian Anderson. Yeah. So she's a brilliant. She's got the most amazing voice. Brilliant oh, no, no, no. actress. She's American. She's what the American. fuck? Like, I only just found out she's American via Shameless talking about how she was American. I was like, who the fuck? When? Because her accent is so good, but she's actually got this very weird hybrid accent because she apparently grew up in London. So she's like half American, half English. And her accent, like, depending on the interview you click on, is very different. Like, sometimes she literally sounds like Jean, and sometimes she sounds super American. It's really weird. Oh my god, she's she's amazing. She's fucking amazing. amazing. And she's amazing as Margaret Thatcher in The Crown. Crown. Really, really sensational. Um, Yeah, so, and then also... Amy is trying to overcome her sexual assault from the guy on the bus. I actually read a really good piece about this, or maybe it was just a tweet that was like, someone that had been sexually assaulted said that they loved Amy's portrayal so much because Mm. she never got fixed. Like, it's not something that's just going to get fixed, obviously. Because there's that scene where she's talking to Jean um, in, like, this sort of therapy space, Mm. and Amy says, oh, I just want to be back to normal I Mm. want to be back to old Amy and then Jean was sort of like you may never be or like old old Amy's not actually here anymore but you'll be you'll be exactly like you'll feel good again Mm. but you won't be the same necessarily Mm -hmm. Mm. I love that yeah I thought that was really good as well um and then Maeve her friendship with Isaac is growing by the day. Mm. So we sort of leave season two as Isaac deletes the message from Otis Otis. declaring his love for Maeve. And he's very much like the villain at that point in time. And the sort of switch between him being the villain and then us getting a deeper backstory of Mm. him and why he did what he did. I don't know. I found, to me, like, his whole performance was definitely a standout. Yeah, I always found him quite likable, I think. Even when he was villainous, you could sort of see where it was coming from. Because Otis doesn't get May's life. Like, yeah. as much as Otis will try, yeah. he, can't he can't get it. He's like not going to understand can. because he hasn't mm-hmm. been there. Yeah, really, really interesting situation. And then we also have Jackson who meets Cal and he struggles to see them as non-binary. Um, yes, that was such a good portrayal Absolutely. of, like, a relationship when you're with someone who's non-binary who's also trying to figure themselves out. He was seeing them as a girl, which they have never identified with. And so it was teaching him how to retrain his brain while they were, you know, not used to being in a relationship either. And it was very, Mm. it was very well done. It was, I thought it was very well done I've never never seen it before on screen as well. No, that's what's amazing. Um, It was actually Jula Saleh's first acting role. Um, They are also non-binary um that was on musicians so i think that that's what they do usually but they were really drawn to cal as a character because it didn't feel like a caricature of what a of what a non-binary person Mm. is sort of meant Mm. to be which is really amazing and in an interview with teen vogue they said that knowing that a role like this is so remarkable and so important and has such historical value progress-wise is making me reflect a lot and have a lot of gratitude for where the world is going and how we can find ourselves in these characters and how we can portray these characters. Just being ourselves, not having to be someone else, play us. It Mm. feels amazing. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, sex education really did well on this front. 
Um, and I learned a lot from the storyline. And I feel like people in in 2021 that don't cast the identity they're Mm. trying to portray with people from that actual group. Community. Community. Like, why would you not? You're so fucking behind. Like, there's no excuse for it for people. Like, if you want someone to play an Indian character, hire a fucking... Indian person like you know like people that aren't doing this yeah I feel like this could be a culture vulture episode in yeah. itself we can talk about Apu my yeah. favourite topic <laughs> yeah one of the first pieces ever written for she you should care about preach oh goodness goodness yeah and then so Mr. Gruff moves in with Colin and he learns the wonder of putting ingredients together which is really fucking it's cute and I so love cute. Colin I think Colin's one of my favourite characters um, and then also Viv has a new long distance boyfriend mm, who's hot as fuck so hot so so hot and i, I love know. everything about that yeah <laughs> his medieval sex capades. <laughs> oh my god <laughs> lucy what was your favorite storyline to watch i i really oh my god i don't know what the favorite was i really love um eric and otis's friendship oh. i think it's wonderful i really love amy and mave's friendship and to be honest most Beautiful. of amy's scenes and my favorite moment is the um the sex scene between Isaac and Maeve when like they have to communicate so openly what they want and where they like to be touched because obviously he's in a wheelchair and I've just Mm -hmm. fuck I've never seen anything like it no and I thought it was so fucking beautiful it was fucking beautiful because Isaac is played by George Robinson who also suffered a spinal cord injury they actually rewrote the character to make sure that he had the same injury that George had and so he suffered that through playing rugby in high school Mm. um and yeah he was just fucking amazing he was like able to be so cynical but funny and then cheeky and soft all at the same time and yet the romantic connection was so so important i read quite a lot about how like sex and intimacy is something in the disabled community that is never represented yeah on screen right and it's like this is the first time i've seen something like this except for me and you both commented this is like me before you but i feel like me before you sort of shied away a little bit from actually the intimacy and it was so it sort of really examined what life was like as a disabled person Mm -hmm. whereas here it was like this is just who he is yeah you know like that wasn't even a thing yeah yeah, which was amazing. And Robinson actually said to the BBC that what makes that scene so beautifully crafted is the way that it speaks to how sex isn't always about the physical stuff, but the intimate act of opening yourself up to one another. Mm. That's really what sex is. Mm-hmm. So it's basically oh. what you said. Fuck, such a good scene. Such a good scene. What was your favourite storyline? Mine was Eric and Adam. Oh! I really loved watching Eric and Adam. Like, I just thought that Eric was fucking amazing in this season. Oh my god, like, he's he had the best character hands down. Thriving, like absolutely thriving. Because we'd seen, you know, he'd had a bit of a tough time in season one, getting bullied. Like By Adam. By Adam. All very fucked up. But it's just amazing seeing him so himself, so not afraid to be who he is. Mm. Like genuinely, which mm. I don't think you actually see in people very often. Um, yeah, and then Adam just like even though they did end up breaking up, I just feel like the whole relationship was the best thing in the world for Adam because he actually learned that he had feelings. Yeah, and he took his dog to the dog <laughs> show yeah. and he made friends with the French guy. Literally. <laughs> also, like, kind of sad, though, because me and Liv rewatched the first season and Adam was, like, real confident. Obviously, he was hiding himself, but he seems to have gotten stupider as the seasons have gone on. But I feel like he's gotten so much less confident. I feel like confidence and intelligence is so intertwined because like if you're confident in what you say Mm. you seem more intelligent right? So I feel like he's just totally broken himself down as Mm. a person which needed to happen because he was a shit person. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like he although he seems stupider and doesn't have much to say for himself I feel like because it's he's so unsure Mm. of himself at the moment but like he needs to go through yeah he needs to go through this Um, and it's been renewed for season four it's just been announced that it's renewed for season four mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. absolutely season four yeah yeah and i think my favorite moment was the poo bit on the school oh i thought that was so funny it wasn't even funny it was so funny no i thought it was so funny and so uncomfortable like i just thought I don't know. I thought Rakeem was amazing. Oh, respectfully disagree. I found that so, like, <laughs> how can your favourite moment be something you can barely watch? Yeah, well, I can barely watch it, but, like, Adam really showed his true colours. Yeah, and then it was they so cute friends. of Adam. Yuck. 
And um, how Cal and Jackson were like high on the bus. Like, oh, oh, that, that was, was so fun. funny. Yeah, that was great. Oh my yeah. god, that whole trip when they forgot Maeve and Otis yes. and they didn't even realize. <laughs> they realized that Maeve, but they didn't realize Otis. Oh, oh you're here too. <laughs> <laughs> no, I oh can't. Oh my god. But yeah, I just feel like there's a lot to take away from the whole oh, show. Just anyone that hasn't seen it fucking needs to go and watch oh. it. Well, you wouldn't have been listening to this if you hadn't seen it. Yeah, absolutely. They cover everything from sexual assault, casual sex, sexual identity, male and female masturbation, vaginismus, like everything. Everything. Literally everything that you could think of. Um, and it just really showed me like the stark contrast between what we fucking learned at school yeah. versus this. Like we weren't at school that long ago, what, like five, six years ago. Yeah. And... Literally, we learnt fuck all. No, I didn't like, learn fucking anything yeah. in health class. I actually don't remember. Half of it was probably because I wasn't trying to listen. But, like, I do not remember anything. Nah, honestly, it, there was nothing that was, like, putting a condom on a wooden penis. And that it, was it. And, like, like pictures oh. of gonorrhea and other STIs. Oh. That was genuinely it. Like, two lessons. No, nah, that's so bad. And, and, like, we were talking about how this watching this show made us really jealous for an experience of, mm-hmm. like, sex as high schoolers that we didn't have. Like, that normalcy that they all feel with sex. And I like, know. It was very secretive. I feel Like, we were lucky because we had quite an open group of friends. Mm. But, like, everything was very... I, I don't know. It felt kind of dark at yeah. high school. I don't know how to describe it. Like... I guess because we didn't go to a co-ed. Yeah. So. It wasn't that normalized. It wasn't It was like it was happening. But it, it was, was sort of like you'd be a slut or if you hadn't done it, like. Yeah, you, then you'd feel bad about yourself. Yeah. And it wasn't just a like really open, like, let's talk about. No, nah, not at all. It. Yeah. Really interesting. And like, it's just so fucked up because I feel like your first experiences with sex and body image and everything literally dictates your relationship with it for the rest yeah. of your life. Like, unless you go unless in and do work. proper work. Right. <laughs> It's just crazy to me that we were giving absolutely no tools, no tools of how to treat someone in a relationship. No, like there were there was toxic ass shit that was going on in high school. Like, yeah, and you wonder what it's going to be like for the rest of their lives. I know, just so. I agree. I think ridiculous. Like, I I wish we had this back then. Mm. Like, yeah, we have it now, but. We're, what, 23 now? It's almost like too little too late. It is. It's too little too late. And it's just like, all kids, all sexualities, all identities, I want everyone to watch it. Like, imagine growing up and actually accepting yourself for who you are. Fucking can't imagine it. (laughs) Can't imagine it. So far. Um, And then I just thought it was really interesting, the sort of generational gap between Hope and the students, and like, that it was actually this fucking huge chasm, Mm. and that she really represented sort of old school feminism and also almost the feminism that we were sort of taught growing up in that Mm. sense of like, you have to be like a man in a man's world. Mm -hmm. You have to bottle up everything. Don't show emotion because you want to be taken seriously as a woman. I thought there were major parallels between her and the mum from White Lotus. Did you mean woman in a man's world? Yeah. You said man in a man's world. Sorry. Woman in a man's world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I was about to say, I, I think she seemed like the mum in the White Lotus as well. I, I don't know. I just think she's that group of people that are terrified of their own sexuality and, yeah. you know, they, yeah, she's yeah. trying to take on. And she was just majorly yeah. projecting. And then the only critique I had of the show, but I feel like this was actually purposeful, was that she was such a two-dimensional character in the sense that they tried to give her, like, this backstory of her having... Not being able to get pregnant. Yeah, exactly. And that almost trying to explain why she was such a cold bitch. But it just, like, didn't add up. They probably wanted us to still think yeah. she was cold. And then Otis did that beautiful sort of mini-therapy yeah. session on him while Jean was watching, and it was cute as... Yeah, I think they didn't really want us to cut her slack. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, which Hopefully. I kind of do love now mm. rethinking, but it's just very interesting, like, comparing her with Mr. Groff, who then we learn to sort of... Not love, but like. like. Yeah. But yeah, basically, that's that's sex education. Fuck. Go watch it if you haven't. You probably wouldn't be listening to this if you hadn't watched it. But let us know what you thought of the series. Yeah. Um, honestly, I thought it really lived up to the hype. Yeah, it was fucking... Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Good. So here is an ad for us by us. I want to have a super quick chat to you all about Siska supporters. This is the new way that you can support what we do here at Shit You Should Care About. Because right now, we're in a studio, which costs money to hire, with an audio engineer, who we've got to pay, and every week we're researching, scripting, and hosting this thing for you, all which takes time, resources, and it costs money. You'll also notice that we're using valuable advertising space here, space which we often leave empty because we want to make sure that we're only partnering with the best and most vibey people. So for all of these reasons, we need your support to keep doing what we do. So please, if you have $1 or if you have $100, consider becoming a Cisco supporter so that we can keep doing this for you. The link is in the show notes. We love you so much. Bye. Right, now, as we said earlier, Sally Rooney has just released her latest book, Beautiful World, Where Are You? Interestingly... When I was reading it, I had no idea of the title of it. Like, when I went to do my research on it, I had no idea of the title of the book. I just realized that I just saw it as Sally Rooney's third book. Oh, and right. I didn't yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, title. it wasn't, like, normal people conversation. No. Yeah. yeah. I just found that real, real weird. Now, um, before we get into, you know, the, the deeper chats mm. about this book, Liv, I just want you to give me your ranking of Sally's three books. Oh, Sally's three books. Okay, Normal People, number one. Beautiful World, Where Are You, number two. Conversations with Friends, number three. I loved this third book. Love that. I love, loved it. I love Conversations with Friends as well, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I just, yeah, maybe yeah. I'm a little bit older. I yeah like looking at the yeah, writing you more. Do not have yeah. To, yeah, you do not have to um, back that up with anything except for what you liked. I liked conversations with friends the best then normal people and then beautiful world where are you but as with everything after i researched it yeah i appreciated this book so much more so it's sort of moved up to like equal with normal people conversations with friends i don't know why it was so sexy to me nah i I do know why it's the like younger woman sort of going for the older the older man. The older relationship. Sort of you know, both the young women are going into the older relationship. I think that book made me more uncomfortable than the others. I and wonder like, if you read it again, because I've read it twice. Yeah, I th- I would definitely... To be honest, I would love to read them all again. Same. I actually think I have read Normal People twice. Yeah. But, yeah. Interesting. I know. So let's do a reintroduction of Sally Rooney, just because... I mean, we all know who the fuck she is, but she's so interesting. So Sally Rooney is a 30-year-old Irish novelist. She has been called the first great millennial author... And Salinger for the Snapchat generation. Now, both of these are, like, huge calls to make, which I don't really agree with. It's not that I don't think she's, like, the bomb or the best, but I just think it's, like, oh, I don't know. It's a little bit tacky to be, like, the Salinger of the Snapchat generation. Catch her in the right. I fucking love that book. pretty fucking dismissive of everyone else. But I do, in saying that, I do think she's one of the best writers, like, the millennial generation because... She gets it, like, no one Yeah, like, I just find... A lot of contemporary books that have com- come out recently, like when they're trying to make commentary on the world, like it's just like obvious and slightly tacky. A lot of the time there's just too many words mm. and too many, I, I don't know, I just love the simplicity of Sally Rooney and I know that a lot of people don't. Yeah, I don't get the people that don't love the no grammar thing because I acclimatize it to it, so to it really fast. easily. Yeah. So, anyway, that's what we, again, we're fans of her. So, if you want to hate listen, this probably isn't it. But, yes, she is the Salinger for the Snapchat generation. (laughs) Um, She doesn't really like those terms either. In fact, she hates being famous. Mm. All things that really come through in Beautiful World Were You and all things that are very interesting to her political standings and philosophies, which we are going to come to find out. 
Now, the plot for Beautiful World, Where Are You, focuses on the friendship between Alice, who's an author that's just had a mental breakdown and moved to a big house in the Irish seaside, and Eileen, an editorial assistant at a literary magazine. Alice then strikes up a relationship with a warehouse worker named Felix, and Eileen with her childhood friend Simon, who's a political advisor. Mm. First of all, just really quickly, my thoughts on the book, like as I was reading it sort of um, pre-research, because I like to do that. I like to be like, before I know everything, everything let me just see how I feel. So I really liked it. I read for two reasons. I read to learn something, nonfiction, like productivity, learn something, or I want to just escape. Yeah. This book really worked in escapism. Like, I liked it because I got an image in my head. I liked the characters. You know, like, it worked for escapism. You got put into the world. I totally did. I really find that was Sally Rooney's. I find them, like... I'm going into the same world as normal people in conversations with friends, but a different house yeah, in that world. Exactly. Like, or like an older stage of those characters. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like yeah. a different time frame, but it feels like the exact same setting, which mm-hmm. I love. Same. Same. Because it feels very Irish. Yes. <laughs> and it feels very familiar. Yeah. I don't know I, why. No, I really like it. I, and I think because we've seen it on screen with normal people as well, yeah. we can really picture it. Now... Because I'm not here to be a snob and I want to get my true opinions out there. Before I did the reading on all of this, I hated the emails. I found them, and I think it's because I wasn't intellectually, like my reading level maybe wasn't there or it wasn't what I was looking for in the book. Mm-hmm. Because, and, and it's not because I don't email. Like I write an email every morning to thousands of people and I love emails. It was because I just found them really hard to read. It was a very really different long. sort of email. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, but what I did find, Liv, and we talked about this, was that those emails reminded me of conversations that me and you actually have. Mm. Where you're talking about something really, really deep and existential and the world's in turmoil. And then you're straight up to like, oh my God, and did you hear about this gossip? Or or I have a crush on this person. Or like, you know, you go from real yes. deep straight into like... I feel like those emails just symbolized what the book was about. Exactly. And, and there's been a lot of critique about these emails some people love them Mm. some people hate them and and I just I don't know I think a lot of people are saying young people don't email and young people don't talk like this and I'm sort of like well maybe you don't me and Liv certainly do yeah we do talk about big shit like this and I think a lot of people do but also these characters are in their early 30s they're Mm. not you know the Gen Z yeah people that are on social media necessarily like it exactly and I feel like both of these characters were writers like yeah. I mean one was a writer for a magazine and one was an author and they would fucking communicate like that I because know. it's their bread and butter yeah I I agree um my last and sort of initial thought was that I wasn't sold on Alice and Felix's relationship mm-hmm. um but the Simon and Elaine relationship. Different story. Loved it. Yeah. The phone sex scene. Ooh, Liv. Steamy. Liv actually told me <laughs> Liv actually told me about the sex scenes in this book saying that I was really gonna like them. And then like one night when I was real bored, I hadn't started the book yet, but I just <laughs> yeah. flipped through and read the like, sex scene. <laughs> How's the book going? Oh, I haven't started, I've just read the sex scene. I know, I like flipped through and found the sex scenes, which is like so wrong to to like <laughs> you know come on here and critique a book that I've read in a really fucked up sort of order. No, but it's honest, but, and I'm yes. sure a lot of people have done that. Yeah. Um, um what do you think of the book, Dale? Yeah, I as I said before, really fucking loved it. Mm-hmm. Um I loved the I just love relationships. I love reading about relationships. I love reading about the mundane mm-hmm. is literally my favorite subject matter. I love how she explains things and how it's not just black and white and we're getting really complex characters, which I feel like a lot of other books really lack. Because I, humans are complex and you don't have to use fancy words to make them that way on no, the page. Absolutely. I, I think her writing's really elegant and beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I really, really enjoyed it. I loved the storyline between Eileen and Simon. I found Eileen really frustrating. I also found Alice really frustrating. But I think Sally Rooney writes really frustrating characters. Mm-hmm. Um, God, if you weren't frustrated during normal people, I don't know. I know. Like It's sort of like just the whole thing is like, why aren't you together? Yes, that's the whole For thing. What? Like, yeah, that was what it was with Eileen and Simon. Exactly. Marianne and Connell. Yeah, it's like these people are meant to be, 
you know, master communicators. They're writers. They mm. should be able to string a sentence together, but they just can't do it when talking to one no. another. And I just feel like that in itself symbolizes so much because it's like when push comes to shove, like what do you really know and yeah. what do you really want? And, and can you communicate it? Because yeah, prob's not. Because prob's not. And, yeah, I just loved it. I thought the whole commentary about, like, you know, we're in this world where things seem to be going to shit and, like, there's these huge existential problems, but all we can really focus on is our day-to-day mm. and our relationships with people. That's exactly it. It's like we are all, like... We talk about capitalism, we talk about the world going to shit and, like, people in poverty, and it's like, at the end of the day, none of us do anything about it. Yeah. Really. We are really wrapped up in our own relationships and personal lives, and it's like, we can talk the talk. Not many of us can walk the walk. No. And that's been a critique of this book, but I think it's Sally Rooney it's putting point. a mirror to us, being yes. like, we all do this. Absolutely. We try our best to think we're doing something about it, but we all operate within this system that exists. And we yeah. can only change it by also being a part of it. So it's very interesting. Absolutely. It's just, I think it really speaks to the time that we're living in. Mm, I know. And, and it's like, we don't want to think that we're like this, but we all are. We all are. It's human nature. So I think one of the most interesting parts of the book, and I'm going to play, well, it's not even a game, it's just something that I've done, Yeah, is that... Alice seems to be an insertion of Sally Rooney. Absolutely. Um, and also that Alice's name is kind of like Alias, which is your fake name. Like, kind <laughs> yeah, of. I don't I know. That's, that. a, that's a massive reach. Yeah. Now, I thought it'd be really fun for me to go through and sort of compare them, compare Alice to things that Rooney okay. said yeah, in um, interviews and things. So... I mean, the New Yorker, just to kick us off, wrote, Yes, there is a novelist. Her name contains five letters and two syllables. Alice. Just like Sally. She, Alice that is, writes books about, and quoting Alice, oh, I don't know, people. Mm. So, again, very, very similar. Before we get any further, I want to make it very clear that Sally has said on the record that Alice is not her. She said in an interview very recently, I have no appetite for writing about myself or things that actually happened to me. So, and she fights that. Like, she constantly says Alice isn't her. Yeah, okay. Interesting. I mean, we can keep comparing them because that's fair enough. She might have subconsciously. I know. You never know. Or maybe it's just she doesn't want to be on the record saying, yeah, I wrote a character about myself. Yeah. So, yes, Alice is a novelist who's written two books and is trying to write the third or come to grips with how the first two became so successful. Literally the same position as Sally. Alice worries about her life being unnormal because now she's famous and it's hard to write about normal stuff when your life is not normal, just like Sally. So here are some things that Alice says. Just like Ed Sheeran. Oh, God, just like Ed Sheeran. (laughs) Go back to last week's episode if you want to hear a bit more about that. (laughs) They come home from the weekend in Berlin, Alice writes. After four newspaper interviews, three photo shoots, two sold-out events, three long leisurely dinners where everyone complained about bad reviews... And then they open up the old MacBook to write a beautifully observed little novel about real life. I don't say this lightly. It makes me want to be sick. Now that's Alice saying that, not Sally. Then she says, Why do people pretend to be obsessed with death and grief and fascism when really they're obsessed with whether their latest book will be reviewed in the New York Times? Now, obviously, this feels like Sally. Sally's life was very, very normal when she was writing her first two books. Mm -hmm. And she said about that fame. Wow, what a crazy thing to happen to just a totally average person. And then she said in Oprah magazine, I feel very much like everyone else. She said in another journal, everyone has a life. I haven't had a particularly interesting one. But now that her name is like attached to such huge fame and her name is a brand, it's Mm. not just a name, like she isn't normal anymore. So of course she would find it hard to write about normal things. Absolutely. And that's, I remember you telling me with Alice that you were like, I just think Alice is Sally. Yeah. Because, yes, because it seems like she is. Um, Speaking of fame, both Alice and Sally hate the fame that comes with being a novelist. Alice says, fame makes her miserable. She can't understand what she, the person, should have to do with her books. She sneers at all the contemporary authors whose sensitive little novels about real life suppress the suffering and catastrophe that characterise real life for much of the globe. 
Although she admits she's the worst, worst culprit in this regard. Just like hypocritical, like hates what she's doing, mm. wants to do it. I, yeah, I just feel like this is the crux of the book. Yes. Like, it is so interesting, the world that we are in right now with social media and the internet and the way that we are more interested in the person that's created the art than the art itself. I mean, this whole book screams, Do you? how do you separate the art from the artist? And you should. Absolutely. I feel like Sally's arguing that you should. Like, it's like with shit you should care about and people are obsessed with why don't you show your faces and it's like well it's because it's actually nothing about us and if we did show our faces it would become about us mm. and that's not the fucking point that doesn't help anyone yeah but because of you don't human- know who's behind the bbc <laughs> absolutely like because of human nature as soon as there's a face attached to something like half of your attention is gone yeah or it goes to what it, you look like or yeah. what you buy or like or just you as a person because as this book has showed we're all innately much more interested in the people around us than the things happening around us and it's not our fault it just means that i don't know i just feel like all of these industries are really starting to capitalize off of that innate human yeah. it's not a flaw but it's just a fact that we're all obsessed with that people. That we're all obsessed with people and, to a point, ourselves. And this whole, like, branding yourself. The best finishing line. is pretty fucked up. It's Honestly, it's so fucked up. And Sally hates the branding yourself. It really comes into her, like, Marxist ideology. And she doesn't want to become a commodity, um, which I'm going to get to just in, like, one second. Sally stopped reading social media. Um, she stopped mm-hmm. going on social media. She muted everything because she doesn't care for it. She doesn't want to be in the public life, like we've said time and time again. She said that none of this worked. And then she sort of got got a bit angry about it. She said, of course, the person that doesn't want to be in the public life could stop doing whatever it is they're good at in order to be allowed to retire from public life. But that seems to me like a big sacrifice on their part and an exercise in cultural self-destruction for the rest of us, forcing talented people to endure hell in the public life or keep their talents to themselves. I don't think it's graceless for people in those positions to speak out about how poisonous the system is. It's like, yes... Culturally, that's so fucked up if you think that someone that's talented should also be famous because then they'll stop doing the thing they're good at because they don't want to be famous. Yeah, I think just the older I get, the more I see how fucked up the system is between like the talent and then the agencies or the management that squeeze every little bit of money they can out of the talented person so that they don't even want to do what they wanted to do in the first place. Which is bad for culture. It's so fucked up. Like... If you think about how we treat celebrities and we, like Billie Eilish or Lord or whoever, and we act as though they, they owe, owe us. us. It's like, oh, well, we're making you rich and famous. No, fame isn't something that basically anyone wants. I actually, Emma Mackey from Sex Education said, if you wanted to be famous, you'd be a fucking sociopath. Yeah. Like, no one wants... They just want to do the thing that they, they want to do. They want to do the thing that they want to do, and that comes as a byproduct. And for a lot of people, it's fucking traumatizing. For a lot of people, it sucks. For, like, Sally and Alice yes. fucking hate it. And and I think Sally was preempting this because in Alice's character, she's written a lot of lines that are, like, defensive. But, mm. like, it's almost... She's written them knowing that people are going to come and criticize her being a Marxist and also her profiting off of these novels. So I've been talking about Marxism this whole time. What actually is it? Marxism, um, Sally's family has always sort of been Marxist. She said it felt like a religion growing up, something that she thought everyone was. Um, And then she sort of realized, oh, no, not everyone does think the way I think. So, you know, the Bo Burnham song, That's How the World Works? (laughs) Yes, Bo Burnham. So one of one of the lines um, that he sings is the global network of capital essentially functions to separate the worker from the means of production. And that is Marxism in a nutshell. It's originated by Karl Marx, and it focuses on the struggle between the capitalists, the people that own everything, bourgeoisie, yes, and the working class, the people that do the labor to make money for the people that own everything, and the way that the people that own the means of production can exploit the workers, you know, make them work overtime and do this, and like the workers are only getting paid as much as the people that own all the means of production want to pay them. So it's it's essentially like 
everything is commodity, everything is a product mm. now, so that these big people can make this big money, the capitalists, if you're a Marxist. Um, and basically Marxists, at the end of the day, want a classless society and a fair distribution of goods. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of, I mean, that is a very, like, not even a spark notes version of Marxism. That's fucking very much simplifying it. But that's, like, the essence of Sally Rooney's sort of political ideology. I think it's really interesting because Sally Rooney herself has said that as a novelist, you can also be a Marxist, but novels and the selling and the commodifying and the branding of them is not. And the fact that she ends up with a whole lot of money at the end of it is not Marxist either. Absolutely. It's just, again, so, so interesting that people in the arts, you know, you can either become super, super successful, super, super rich, have way too much shit, or you can be struggling and there's barely anything in the middle because Mm -hmm. of these huge organizations that just dominate. Mm -hmm. So Sally has said, I'm very skeptical of the way in which books are marketed as commodities. And then Alice has said basically how deeply philosophically wrong the current system of literary production really is. How it takes writers away from normal life, shuts the door behind them, and tells them again and again how special they are and how how important their opinions must be. So that's like a comment on the fucked up like literary production in terms of like the actual mm-hmm. production. And then also the fact that we want these people to write about normal life while treating them as so special and putting them on book tours and then their life's no longer normal. So there's so much of Alice that is Sally. Oh, so, so much. much. So, so much. Really. That's so interesting to me that she said that it wasn't her. Like, I mean, obviously. I because I don't think there's any shame in mirroring your life experience into your book. Like, I don't think it... I don't know, I haven't written a book myself, but I Mm. can't imagine how an author can write about things without having some sort of life experience to sort of back up even the feeling of it. I know. And sort of in the defense that, like, Sally gave about her background, you know, Mm. like, about that she's... I mean, she said that her dad fixed phones for a living and she didn't come from, like, this place of extreme privilege, but she knows that it's privileged, like compared to For sure. the most. But she sort of said that about the people making complaints about this novel. The people making these complaints like to read novels, but they don't like to be reminded that novelists are necessary for the production of the novels they like to read. And then on a side note, the fact that we're so obsessed with the novelists behind them, like, just let them write Yes, let them be. Um, it's almost like attending a football game and complaining that everyone on the pitch is a professional footballer. Their job is to play football, not to reflect your life experiences. And then she basically says, If, as a reader, you want to exercise control over the kinds of things that are depicted in my novels, try writing one. That's what I did, and it worked for me. If, on the other hand, you don't want to read novels about writers or women or Irish people, whatever, that's okay. Don't read my novels. I won't mind. Oh, we read books to understand how other people live and think and behave that aren't us. Like, there's that saying, if there's a book that you haven't read that you want to read and it doesn't exist, you have to fucking write it, right? Yeah. Like, it just, we're so self-obsessed yeah, I was that we say, need to Do we really see. just want to read reflections of ourselves? Honestly, I think a lot of us do. Yeah. I think that that's what we think is good, if we yeah. can relate to it. But it's like, she's saying not she's not going to write, what did she say? It's not my job to populate my books with particular types of characters that I imagine other people might find relatable. It's my job to write about whatever comes into my head to the best of my ability. Absolutely. Like, Sally Renu's soul should be in her book, and that's why we actually like it, because we love the authenticity of it, even if you don't even realize that's why you like it. Exactly. And I think there's a conversation here about, just as we always talk about, you know, whether we can separate the art from the artist, which unless the artist has been extremely problematic and stuff, is usually a very easy, like, mm. yes, um separating political ideologies from the literature they're writing. They're two different totally spheres. Totally different That's things. That's what fiction is. Absolutely. Fiction is writing about something this isn't a memoir. real. Exactly. It's not a biopic. I, I think... I think it's, That's a movie version. Anyway, <laughs> carry on. I know. And is it pronounced biopic or uh, biopic? I don't know. Anyway, my sort of last thought is that um, the emails, after a lot of thinking and scrutinizing... 
I really respect because uncomfortably enough, they are us. Like, yes, you know, they like quite literally live down me and you. They're talking about like the environment collapsing. This right is so when, funny because we're like, you shouldn't have to read things that are about yourself. But that's <laughs> no. why I hated them. Yeah. Whereas other oh, people yeah, are like, okay, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because yeah. it's like confronting. Yes. It, 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 they talk about the environment, the environment collapsing, right wing political movements that are on the up. And the fact that most of the world's population lives in poverty to make way, like, at the expense of us living Mm. in privilege or comfortably. And it's very uncomfortable. And it's literally us. And, like, even though academically I found them hard to read and quite dense. And then obviously, like, seeing yourself reflected in a way that you know is true and you don't want to see is also hard. But it made me just, like, respect and love these emails now. Because it was just like, yeah, we do want to talk about everything going on in the world, but at the end of the day, what we can kind of end it with is what's going on in our personal Well, at the lives. end of the day, what we do talk about, yeah. aside from the little, like, you know, Snippets few hours of where we're trying to understand the world or want to feel good mm-hmm. about making a difference, we do come back to the banalities of our day-to-day life and the mm-hmm. dramas that are happening and relationships but but that's okay. And and I think this final quote really sums it up. Because when we should have been reorganizing the distribution of the world's resources and transitioning collectively to a sustainable economic model, we were worrying about sex and friendship instead. Because we loved each other too much and found each other too interesting. Yeah, that's really beautiful. It's and just like, a contradiction. Like it's it's yeah. It's so interesting. This book upon research has become just so much more wonderful than I could have actually like just thought upon reading absolutely and yeah just mirrors society yes in a way that we don't want to see we live in so wow and because Sally's a Marxist does not mean that her characters are going to be perfectly depicting the working class versus capitalism like I just think that's like a big takeaway because you're going to read critiques that are saying, if she's a Marxist, why is she writing this? Absolutely. You cannot judge an author on their character that is ludicrous. Like, you can write fucking murderers as characters. Like, that doesn't mean the author is a murderer themselves. It's just so ridiculous. Yeah. Please don't think like that. No, I know. And I get it if it's like, if you can't see it, you can't be it. Like, yeah. if she had written a perfect Marxist character, maybe people would emulate that. But it's like, we can't expect her as a fiction novelist to be teaching us political theory like we should go to uni. Yeah, <laughs> literally. I told Take you Take sociology. Honestly, you'll hear so much about Karl Marx, it would be ridiculous. I literally told you this was going to be a big defense of Sally Rooney because I went on such a journey of like... Mm. Yeah, the novel was fine to then, oh, maybe I should be hating it, to then, no, the reason I should be hating it is the reason I should like it. But that's the best type of research because you sort of dip in and out of other people's opinions and then you come to form your own. Exactly. And we like being fans of things. Yes. So it's just positive vibes around here. Now... If you want to find us elsewhere, you should come, first of all, to the daily newsletter because if you reply to the email, I will reply back. It's my favourite place to be, just like Alice and Eileen, rather than DMs. You can also find us on Shit You Should Care About and in our Discord server and all the good things in the link in our bio. Thank you, Liv, for this big edition. Oh, you're so welcome. I really enjoyed it, actually. Me too. Yeah, thank you. Thank see you, you on next always. Wednesday. Yes, see you then. Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.